Hi, welcome. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Luke chapter 18. There's a Bible here in the front. Anybody else need a Bible? It's important for us at Calvary Chapel that everyone in the room not only be hearing the Word of God, but seeing it. So it brands a brand into your soul. We want the Word of God just imprinted in our minds. Luke chapter 18, verse 28. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. He's speaking to Jesus there. See, we have left all and followed you. And so he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many more times, many more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, We are going up to Jerusalem and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that there is certainty in your word. Lord, when we come into this room, we come from a place where there's great confusion and things are not in black and white. They're presented to us in grays and all kinds of other colors, Lord. When we leave this room, we go out into the world, Lord back out into the world where there's just a lot of confusion, so many voices saying so many different things. But Lord, when we open your word, there is certainty. And we thank you for that. I pray that you would bring each person's heart in this room, every man, woman, and child to a place, Lord, where they embrace your word, every word, every jot and tittle in it, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, especially in Red Sox season, the parking lot downstairs gets full. Just remember when that happens. We have 375 Longwood across Brookline Avenue. I know the walk's a little longer, especially after Red Sox season in January and February and December. But... uh, You know, in the city, parking issues, it's part of doing ministry here, so we appreciate your patience with that. You know, the first sermon I ever gave was in Atlanta, Georgia, at a church called Grace Community Church. 
Steffi and I attended the church. We had a big bouncing baby boy named Sam. I was a pastor intern at this church. They asked me to give the Sunday morning sermon. That was 20 years ago, August of 1993. And the sermon was on Psalm 73. And you think, Psalm 73, what does that have to do with Luke 18? You'll see. But first, I want to turn there. Go to the middle of your Bible, Psalm 73. Always has had a special place in my heart. Psalm 73. It's page 678 in my Bible. It says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So he's looking back at a time where he almost messed up big time. For I was envious of the boastful, verse 3, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he was looking out at the world, seeing the prosperity of, the, of unbelievers, the ungodly. And it almost caused him to fall flat on his face. Verse 4, for there were no pangs in their death, and their strength is firm. He looked out, and they were just all strong, and they seemed to just prosper in life. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a, like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, and mean, meaning they have everything. They have more than a heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Verse 9, they set their mouth against the heaven. In other words, they could care less about God. They could care less about God or the ways of God. And their tongue walks through the earth. That's a great poetic way of saying they just walk around boasting. Go to verse 13. It says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Meaning, surely I've wasted all this time I've, I've spent following God. It's been a waste. What, what's the point of it all? That's what he's saying. Verse 14, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Let's go down to verse 21. He says, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. In other words, he was just, he was looking at the prosperity of everything in the world and saying, what have I done with my life following God? What's the point? But in verse 22, it says, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me into gl glory. So now he's just like waking up. God wakes him up from his, his, his daydream. 
And he says, whom, verse 25, have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My heart and my, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. And so in the middle of the psalm, you have this transition from, he's sort of just, he's in a cloud of darkness and he moves into the light. What had happened? What happened? It says in verse 16, look in verse 16 in the middle of the psalm. He says, when I, under, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until he, he went in, into the sanctuary of God, until he heard the word of God, he, he was being just blinded by these lies. And, and listen, what happened here in Psalm 73 happens at some point, if not a number of points, in the life of, of everybody who follows Jesus. So like, wait a second. Have I lost my mind? What, what have I got myself into? Why am I doing this Jesus thing? I gave up everything. For What? Why did I have to go wig out and get wrapped up in all of this? This happens to me from time to time. Steve, are you out of your mind? Do you, do you remember how much, you know how much they were paying you when you left that big fat corporate job? Have you lost your mind? You could have had economic security and freedom for the rest of your life. What have you done, Steve? If you're in that place, Psalm 73, good place to go to, but another place is Luke chapter 18, verse 28, where Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, we've left all and followed you. In the parallel account in Matthew, it says this. In the parallel account of Matthew, do we have that? It says, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What are we going to get out of this? He actually says, you know, all that stuff, Lord, that you just told that rich young ruler... What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? A rich young man came to Jesus. He had health, he had wealth, and he had power. And the, and the guy comes to Jesus and he says, so what do I have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, you need to obey the commandments. And, and this rich young ruler says, well, I've done that. And Jesus says, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and follow me. And it says, this rich young man left. Why? Because he had many riches. And Jesus said, it is 
as hard for a camel to get to an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. And then the disciples were like, well, who can be saved then? And Jesus says, well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And that's when Jesus says, well, what about us, though? We actually did do what you said to this rich young man to do. We've left all. So what do we get out of it? Kind of, I think, an outrageous question. It's like, what do we get out of this? What does Jesus say? What do you mean, what do you get out of serving me? The serving, the privilege is in the serving. You know, he doesn't say anything like that. He, he answers with outrageous grace. He says in verse 29, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time meaning now and in the age to come, eternal life. I want to spend a little time on these two verses, not only because they do provide an answer for that dark moment in your life where you're like, whoa, what what am I doing following this Jesus? Not only do they provide an answer for that, but also because, you know, Jesus says something from time to time that just, comes across as not only extraordinary, but kind of shocking. And this is one of those those verses. I mean, what, what do you mean? Who shall not receive many times more in this present life and in the age to, uh, an age to come, the eternal life? Actually, in the book of Mark, let's, let's put that up on the board. It even, it's even kind of more shocking what he says in the book of Mark. It says, so Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions but in the age to come, eternal life. So he actually says, he actually expands, Mark expands on it, and he's saying, you're going to get in this life a hundredfold in terms of houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands. What on earth does that mean? I mean, it's like one of these Jesus shocking statements. He likes to do that, Jesus does. Notice, by the way, that Mark added, can we put up the very last piece? Before we move on, he, I'm just right there, right. Notice that last word. Notice that Mark also has that word, with persecutions. So lest any of us be misguided, it means if you follow Christ, you will get knocked down by the world, by the devil, by foolish choices that you make growing in grace. But you will get knocked down. You will be persecutions. But you will also get a hundredfold of whatever you give up. Wow. Now, as I'm preparing a sermon like this, a message like this, I look at this verse and I ask the Lord, and I must have repeated this to the Lord or speaking to myself 50 times while I'm preparing this message. What am I supposed to do with a verse like this? 
how do I explain it? How on earth can I get people to embrace this promise? And I want to tell you something, and I don't know what to say other than you just have to believe me. I know I don't know all of you as well as, you know, some of you I know much better than others, but you have to believe me when I say this. Personally, when I look at a verse like this, I've been walking with the Lord for 25 years, and I think to myself, and you just got to believe me. I read this and I say, there's no truer verse in all the Bible. To me, it's already been fulfilled 25 years into the Lord. There's no truer verse in all the Bible. I have received so much more than I have given up. Saying it's a hundredfold isn't even adequate. It's not even adequate. I read this and I go, no kidding, and I just move right on. It wasn't always that way. But how do I explain this to someone who has been a Christian for a month, a year, or five years? Because you look at the, they look at this verse, and it just seems ridiculous. A hundredfold? Really? Houses? Mothers? Fathers? Children's? Children? <laughs> Brothers? Sisters? Really? Now, there are some promises that Jesus makes where you're just, you know, two things here. One, there's some promises that Jesus makes where you're just going to have to pause and look at it and say, hmm, that's hard. But either Jesus is the son of God and every promise he made is true and will come to pass, or he's a fake, he's a liar, And I don't believe that's the case. So I'm going to choose to believe this promise. And it's important that you read the Bible in that way. And if you're not there yet, if you seek the Lord, if you have an honest, transparent heart of the Lord, he'll bring you to that place where you read promises like that. And so anyway, believe it. And when you come under attack by these thoughts Psalm 73, surely I've washed my hands in vain. What, what am I doing living this life where I've forsaken all that the world calls pleasure and following God? What, what, why have I got wigged out and got wrapped up into this? Well, right here, this verse. But there's something else I want to show you about this verse because there's, some, there, there's some, actually some places in the Bible which... I believe, are just a great, great demonstration of how this promise that God will give you a hundredfold, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, houses, land, how that actually plays out in a practical way in, 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 in Christian's life. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. It's a little to the right probably about, what, 100 pages or something like that? Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Now, for the longest time, I thought it was the strangest thing that this chapter was in the Bible. I mean, why is there a whole chapter dedicated to just 
Paul saying hi to people. That's what he does. He spends a whole, why do I have to know this 2,000 years later in the year 2013? Why this guy is just saying hi to a bunch of people? I mean, couldn't they got the point across just by saying hi to a few? Okay, yeah, I'm supposed to greet people. No, the guy goes through like 26 people. And he takes us all through it. For the longest time, I didn't understand uh, why this was in the Bible until someone pointed out to me. And I remember it was in Haiti. It was about five, six years ago. It was an assistant pastor there, Pastor Eddie. He pointed out that this chapter is a direct fulfillment of the very thing that Jesus promised in Luke chapter 18. So let's read. Let's start with verse 3. This is Paul. He finishes his most famous letter of the Bible. And it's so packed with theology and, and just how to walk with God that, that this book is just transcends um, life. Um, and, and he does it in such a systematic way. I understand they even use this in some law schools, this book of, of how to win people over to an argument. He, he just, the, an incredible book. But he, he actually finishes it in this very odd way. And he starts verse three, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so he starts off with these people who basically took a bullet for him or were willing to. Please greet these people. Bless them for me. Verse 5, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epidemus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. He calls this guy Epidemus his beloved, his beloved someone that he has torn open his heart to and let inside. Greet this guy. Greet Mary, verse six, who labored much for us. He's remembering this woman, Mary, and probably the hundreds of hours where she silently behind the scenes served him. Please remember this woman. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. He was in prison with Andronicus and Junius. He was in prison with them. And his, his heart had just had knitted together with them. Verse 8, greet Amplius, again, my beloved in the Lord, and some, yet another person that he had opened up his heart to. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, Stachys, my beloved, another one. Greet Apelles, approved in, in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. It's like, oh yeah, the guy who's from my town. 
He's a patriot with me. <laughs> Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Luke 18 says, anyone who leaves mother, father, brother, sister, wife, children will receive a hundredfold in this life. And here you have, circle that word, and his mother. Paul, over his lifetime, accumulating all these, uh, all these brothers and sisters and mother and children. Greet, verse 14, Asyncretus, Phlegian, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them, the brothers, the brothers. How many times have I heard it that of a person who is new in Christ where they say, you know, you guys, you Christians, you are so much closer to me now than even my biological family. Well, guess what? That's how God has intended it. And that's how it is. And then verse 15, greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. And so you see a fulfillment of Luke chapter 18. Now important, this same Paul, he's got no children. He has no wife. And some people think he used to be married at one time. That may or may not be true. What's certain is at this point he doesn't. He has spent the last 20 years away from his family, but there is such a richness and the fellowship and, and, and what, what the Lord, who the Lord has brought into his life. How many times have I seen in the world? I have relatives. They have so much. They are so loaded with money. But they're so alone. They have such shriveled up lives. It, to, to think that so many people envy what they have is a complete, it's, a, it's, it's an outrage. But it's a deception. It's a deception of, of, the, of the enemy of our souls. It's a deception of the world. Now, it's important that this same Paul who wrote this last chapter in 16, Romans 16, he says something in 1 Timothy that I think needs to be added to this whole mix. This same Paul says this. I'm going to put this up. It's three verses. You don't have to go there. We're going to put it up on the projection. 1 Timothy. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And being, rather, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Now, people read this 
and having food and clothing, these would, oh yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the verse for the poor people. <laughs> this is the verse for the homeless people. Glad it doesn't apply to me. Wrong, it applies to you. This verse applies to you. Having food and clothing, with this we shall be content. It applies to you. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then he finishes off, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So all of this needs to be added to the mix here in Romans 16. Why do I bring up those verses? Because money and possessions have nothing to do with Jesus' promise in Luke chapter 18. What does he say again? Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Nothing to do with money and possessions. Now, is it true that God prospers his people? Of course, it, of course it's true. <laughs> It's just the whole record of the Bible that, that is the case. But Jesus' promise in Luke 18, nothing to do with money and possessions. Nothing to do with them. However, that said, the love of money and the love of possessions will prevent this promise from ever being fulfilled in your life. Let me repeat that. The promise that, who is, that Jesus says that, that there is no one who has left house, parents, brothers, wife, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in eternal life. That promise, the love of money, the love of possessions, will prevent it from being fulfilled in your life. Here's the deal. If you've been walking with God for a while and you read those verses, that promise that Jesus says, and you say to yourself, man, I, this doesn't resonate with me. I, this doesn't, this is crazy. This is not what I'm experiencing. Could it be that you've never fully surrendered to God? The reason so many Christians don't taste the fulfillment of that promise that I will give you a hundredfold in this life, the reason is they haven't fully surrendered to Jesus. Jesus has invited them into his kingdom, into his world, into his pasture, and they try to put one foot into the pasture, but they keep the other foot in the world just in case. Just in case they keep one foot in the world. Just in case that what Jesus is saying isn't really true. 
and they keep it in the world. It, it, in the world, the problem is it, it, it just doesn't work like that. The promise is not for those who keep one foot outside of the pasture. My favorite devotional writer, C.H. Bogatsky, says this. He says, many more would be persuaded to follow Jesus if they could only follow him in halves. I love that. Many more would be persuaded to follow Jesus if they could only follow him in halves. In other words, they, try, they follow Jesus in half. Half your way, Jesus, half mine. Uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. If you t- and if you try that, you'll never experience the joy of reading this wonderful promise in Luke 18 where Jesus says, I'll, I'll, I'll a hundredfold give to you whatever you've given up. They'll never experience the joy of reading that and saying, oh man, is that verse true? Instead, you'll be forever mired. If this is you, you'll be forever mired. You'll, you'll be ever tied up with a psalmist in Psalm 73. Surely in vain have I tried to do this Jesus thing, this church thing. Surely it's been a waste of time. You'll just go through life coming in and out of that place. I want to close with this. Luke does say, and Jesus does say, who it is who is able to truly experience the fulfillment of this promise. He says in Luke chapter 14, he says this. He says another outrageous kind of shocking statement. So likewise, this is Jesus speaking in Luke 14. Whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. When you read that, you go, well, that's shocking. And, you know, we've talked about this before. This is talking about heaven here. People who are not Jesus' disciples don't go to heaven. People who are his disciples, every single one of them does. When someone comes to the Lord, Jesus says, you need to lose your life for my sake. You need to forsake all you have. Now, what does that mean? Well, for the rich young ruler that in Luke 18 that we were talking about earlier, it meant literal, it meant everything. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. But look at chapter 19. Another rich guy, Zacchaeus. Verse 8. We'll be in this shortly, this chapter. But it says, Then Zacchaeus, who is another rich guy, he said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. In, in other words, this man stepped into eternity. He had stepped into, into eternity by faith. What Jesus means when he says, if you're going to come to me, if you're going to, if you're going to come to me, if you're going to by faith, accept the gift of salvation, you need to hand over everything to me, everything. 
And it is literally true in your heart. You got to do it. And that means your house is no longer yours. Like Zacchaeus, it doesn't mean you write your house over to the Lord or something like that, the God bank account, wherever that is. No, it doesn't mean that. It just means there is a, a recognition in your life that everything, your house, your money, your job, and importantly, for what we're talking about today, your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your husband, and your wife, it's all God's to do with what he wants. That's what it's like. God will give you the grace to actually live a life like that. I could line people up right here who will give you testimonies who have walked for years like that. That that they made a commitment to the Lord. Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart, open your life up, and I'll come in. They gave their life to him, and they've been walking with him. Have they messed up bad? Have they fallen flat on their face? Yes. Of course they have. We're sinners. We're in bodies that we're going to be changed someday. But the Bible says, the righteous man falls down seven times, but each time he gets up. God gives you the grace to get up and just keep going. Let me tell you, we live in a world in the year 2013 where the margin for error is so much less than it was 30 years ago. And by that, I mean this. If you think you can either have, even have a toe on the other side of the fence, much less a whole foot, you're going to fall bad. And you're not going to experience or even know what Jesus is talking about when he says, assuredly, I say to you, you'll receive many times more in this part. You're going to read that and go, man, that does not describe my life. You know the good news? When you give God your all, he really does. He gives you back a hundredfold. Look, we're going to close out the... um, the service now. If you've been asked to pray, um, would you please come up if the worship team could also come up at this time. I have a note. So where, where are the communion elements? Are they, are they hidden? <laughs> okay, they're, they're going to be serving it. Okay, there's communion this morning. That's what I thought, but um, I guess um, they're getting it ready right now. You know, the Bible says that when we die, when you die, you're going to go before God, and he's going to judge you. Why? Because he's a perfect judge. It's funny, you know, when I was in Atlanta at that church, attending that church, I worked for a judge at the time. It was my first job. I worked for a judge. If anyone had ever gone before my judge and said, you know, judge, I know I have these hundred driving under influence, under alcohol, in the influence of alcohol convictions. I know I just got another one, but... You know, I have a good heart. I really do. And I've tried my best. So will you please just let me off? My judge, he was a stern old dude. (laughs) 
he would have he would have just gotten up and just told the sheriff whoever put handcuffs on that guy and throw him into prison. But you know, sometimes we think of God, he's the judge, he's the first judge, he's the judge of the world, and we think, oh, he's just going to wink at everything, everything that we've ever done. You know, think about what the Bible says is sin, is wrong, is against God's law. Lying, cheating, stealing. But it also says thinking about lying, cheating, stealing. Jesus says you not only commit adultery by sleeping with a woman who's not your wife, but also, or a man who's not your husband, but also thinking about it. Wow! I would think if I only sinned against God three times in one day, I think I'd be doing pretty good. Man, when you consider everything that the Bible says is sin, I think I'd be doing pretty good if just three times in one day. But the problem with that is, is over a year, that's a thousand sins. And over 70 years, that's 70,000 sins. And same thing. Anyone who'd ever gotten before is my judge, and he was just a human dude with all his imperfections. If they say, hey, judge, I have 70,000 violations. Oh, just let me off. I've done my best. You know, I have a good heart, really. I'm a good son. I'm a good neighbor. It's crazy to think a judge would not say, no, you, no you're crazy. I would be abdicating. I would be, I, people should be, throw me off the judicial bench. I should be impeached as a judge if I ever did something like that. How much more God, who the Bible says is white, hot, holy. When you die... God is going to judge you for every single thought, much less action, that's ever entered into your mind that you, know, that you dwelled upon and embraced. I want to kill that guy. I really, really do. And, you know, this type of thing. He's going to judge you for it. The Bible says the judgment, the wrath of God, it says in John chapter 3, is on the whole world. And the judgment, the penalty, the punishment is death. Everlasting death. But it says in the same passage in John, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and what he did on the cross and his blood that poured out and that covered all, those, all that sin, all those thoughts, everything in the thought life, past, present, and future, everything that we've done or will ever do, that that blood covered it and that he, 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 he died and, and the blood poured out for me. Whoever believes in him, the Bible says, will pass from death to life. In other words, we talked about last week, the judgment will pass over us. And we spend the rest of eternity with God, and it's all free. I would say that's a pretty good deal, don't you? <laughs> Look, as the worship team begins, we have communion this morning. If you have never in your life just come to Jesus and say, you know, I... I I've never done that. As of right now, I'm going to be judged for every thought, every 
action I've ever done. Please, Jesus, come into my heart. And in exchange, I'll give it up to you. It's not worth it anymore. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of living for myself. I want to forsake everything. The good news is, as Jesus says, not only does the judgment pass over you, but you'll get a hundredfold in this life and in eternity. If you've never done that, please come up. We have these people up here praying. Everybody uh, who has ever come to Jesus and become a Christian has done so publicly. I know it's kind of fearful in a room like this, filled with people, but we've all done it at some point. When God calls people, he calls them publicly. Or if you just have something you'd like to pray about in your heart, the Bible says we shouldn't be going to the communion table and a big old mess in our mind. And the good news is, all it takes is coming alongside of a brother or sister and just saying, Lord, please take this. Take this burden. Take this anxiety, this unforgiveness or bitterness or whatever is in my heart. Take it, Lord. So as the worship team begins, come up and pray if you'd like. And at your leisure, it's ready. The communion tables are now ready. You guys tricked me. Go back and get a cup and bread returned to your seat. We'll have communion together. So as the worship team begins, please, please come up.